You hate the beach. Yeah, dude, sand always getting in your sandwiches. <laughs> I said, that's like my number one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go to the beach, your mom packs you a snack of sandwich. <laughs> you sandwich. put it in a Ziploc bag inside a cooler. Why does everything evolve around food? <laughs> yeah, maybe you just shouldn't eat at the beach. Somehow, you beach still body. open it up. You put your that sandwich in your mouth, and there's too much crunch, and it's not the lettuce. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Debrief Podcast. This is episode 12. I am your friendly little host, Justin Pardee. And hey, this is a weekly podcast from us here at Sandals Church with Pastor Matt doing questions and your answers. No, it's 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 your questions and uh, his answers from the Bible based on the sermons and uh, the other questions you guys have coming up. We're going to jump into some Q&A in a minute, but we had Pastor Wayne Cordero from New Hope Church in Honolulu, Hawaii with us this weekend, and it was a really great opportunity for Pastor Matt and Wayne to sit down together. So we're going to have a little listen in on their conversation before we get over to that Q&A. Hey, Sandals Church, this is Pastor Matt. We had a great weekend with uh, Pastor Wayne Cordero and uh, so privileged to have him here and super excited. So thank you, Wayne, for being here. Oh, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. You've got, you've got a great church. People have super good hearts and uh, willing to grow. So for me, that just fills my tank. Oh, thank you. And hopefully you're going to come back. So I'm really, really hopeful thank that you. uh, you'll come back. Maybe so, if you pay my way next yeah, time, yeah, yeah. I will. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You can get on that. So let me just share with you guys just a little bit how I met Wayne. And so in my 30s, uh, as you know, uh, our listeners from Sandals Church, I went through a period of depression and just really, really struggling and I'll never forget the first time we went to New Hope Church in Honolulu. We were invited by the Tongs, uh, mm-hmm. Jan Tong, yep. which you know, and her husband when Dear he was friends. alive. Um, and he was battling with cancer at the time yes. and in treatment. And he took us there and um, I just wept. I cried from the beginning of the service to the end of mm-hmm. the service. And, and so for me, New Hope became a place of hope in ministry. It became a uh, a place of, of just healing and nurture. And so I began to read your books, listen to your sermons. Mm-hmm. And, and as you know, you know, I was going through some dark times in friendships, um, in uh, my professional relationships at Sandals. It was, the church was growing way beyond my ability, uh, way beyond my character, way beyond everything. And I was imploding. And so I just was so blessed by you. Uh, I've got to come to DCAT doing church as a team and just really started uh, getting to know you. Uh, we've paddled together a couple of times. Yep. I paddled with your son, Aaron. <laughs> I was the worst person on the team. We had to drag you through the water. It was man. terrible, but man. it was all right. Yeah, you... I think you guys picked me because I'm a little fit, but I was terrible. I was like the worst, worst guy possible, man, because I don't understand the rhythm of it, but it was fun. I think we beat the Methodists that were there that day. We were racing, so... Um, but uh, so anyways, you know, Wayne, you've just been such a, a pivotal mentor to me with your writings and your teaching and such a, such a beautiful picture of uh, what I hope to be. Uh, you've been faithful to your wife, your family, your church, and it's just such a, a blessing. So I just want to say thank you. Um, like I was sharing with you last night after the message, just thank you for coming. I love you. You talked this weekend uh, with the church about God's word, the divine mentor. Yes. Uh, how did you come up with that concept? Because I love it. Well, you know, uh, I've seen people in churches and they're around on Sunday mornings and they go to Bible studies, but it's like they haven't grown for the last five years. Sometimes we get older, but we don't get any wiser. Yeah. And I thought, no, if, if we are people of God, the older we get, the more sensitive, the wiser, the 
the deeper we should be with a greater insight, greater understanding. And and so I thought, well, what's going on? And as I looked around and talked with people, I noticed that they were still Christians, they still serve, but their relationship with the Word of God was anemic at best because most of their feeding was on Sundays. And yeah. I thought, man, if I only ate on Sundays, I, w- yeah. I would have I had trouble. I'd have trouble. Yeah. You'd be an unhappy Hawaiian. Uh, yes. And so I thought, what if I matched my spiritual life with my physical life? Now, my physical life, I've got to eat three times a day, not right. once. And yet in our spiritual life, we eat once a week and we think that's good enough. So I saw that dichotomy, and that's what began a quest in my life to to think through the fact that our spiritual life is as, if not more important than our physical life. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing. Let me tell you this, and we haven't talked about this, but when I first heard of the the book Divine Mentor, Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, you're talking about God. But what you're talking about is God and his people. And so talk to me about how you've—you said this in your sermon this week. You said, these people are my friends. You know, you talked about Jeremiah, you talked about Joseph. That, that was a great illustration of Joseph ran through the room was fantastic. And so I love that idea of these characters in the Bible that aren't characters, they're real people with real struggles are your mentors. So tell yeah, me about that. Because in the New Testament, twice it says one in Romans 15 and the other in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, these things that were written down were written for our benefit mm. uh, so that through perseverance and the uh, of the scriptures, we will have hope. And then it says again, and these things happen as, as examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Hmm. So it tells me that God had all of these recorded for us so that we would gain the wisdom of the ages. Hmm. And he handpicked these people. It yeah. wasn't at random right. that there was a David or a Joshua or a Moses or a Solomon. These were handpicked. And then he had some scribe or they themselves wrote down right. all as a journal, all of their wanderings, all, all of their discoveries, their success and their foibles. For whom? For us, for people who would come after them. Mm. And then God said, I will inspire this so that the lessons that were learned in the past will be learned in the future through their mistakes and that we don't have to recurringly make them. Mm-hmm. So these are friends. These are my divine mentors. Yeah. They they guide us. They they walk with us. And the Lord said that in Hebrews four, the word of God is living. So these people still speak, as he says of Abel in Hebrews eleven four. Though yeah. Abel is dead, he still speaks. Yeah, that's incredible. And so I think that you know I'm thinking about our congregation. We have a, a lot of non Christians that come to church, new Christians, mm-hmm. and I think they look at you and they they think. You know, I, I want to be like that guy. You know, I mean, I, I look at you and, and I say that I want to be like you. And I love what you said about how uh, wisdom doesn't come in a day, but it comes daily. Yes. And so, share with us about how God has given you wisdom uh, so that you can be who you are today. Because there's a lot of people saying, "I want to be like that," but your process has been daily time in the Word. Yeah, it comes in layers. It's sort of like if you saw a beautifully varnished table. It's not one thick coat of varnish. It's probably thirty or forty of these coats, which give it depth, that mm. gives it a sense of translucence. And our lives are in the same way. It doesn't happen overnight. They even say that about, it's kind of a tongue in cheek, but uh, it takes about 15 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Because it's a process. The, the depth of God in one's life does not happen instantly. It, it eventuates right. over time. 
because you're developing the character that allows there to be uh, more of an insight. You have to have perseverance before you have understanding. Mm -hmm. So all of these are layers. And then when it's all stacked up, now you're beginning to understand Mm -hmm. wisdom. Yeah, and so one of the things I do in my Bible is I always write down the date whenever I read something. So there's little dates all throughout my Bible. And it's always amazing. God's word didn't change. But what I hear changes. It does. Because my life has changed. Right. And so how has how has God's word, you talk about those layers, how has it changed for you over the years as as you've gotten layer after layer? Yeah, because sometimes, you know, two years ago, I wasn't in a position or I didn't have a heart posture to hear something. Mm. God has to bring us to a point where maybe sometimes of desperation or crisis. And I always say, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Yeah. <laughs> because what God has done is he's postured you in such a way that mm. now you're ready to hear. Now you're ready to mm. accept. Now you're ready to submit. Mm. And so he gives you certain lessons knowing that it'll take you some maturity before you get the next lesson. So God gives you layer by layer by layer. Because if you would, he would have given you a lesson that you'll get next year. Right. If he gave it to you today, you would squander it. Yeah. You wouldn't understand it. You would missteward that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, Matt, if this is theologically accurate, but uh, when Joseph shared the fact that he uh, had dreams yeah. <laughs> and that he, his brothers were going to bow down to him. Oh, by the way, consequently dead, uh, you're going to as well. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if God gave that to Joseph and it was time to share it yeah. untimely yeah. Uh, spoken and and shared and uh, I'm wondering if maybe God sometimes says you know I think I'm going to like with Abraham I think we're going to hide yeah. for a little while what we're going to say until he's ready right absolutely so another thing I love about you is your transparency as a leader and you've gone through some emotionally challenging times how has the word of God been there for you in times of burnout in times of just real emotional pain. How has that been? Uh, you know, because a lot of times the first thing people do is they stop reading God's word when they go through a, an emotionally dark period. So how has that benefited you? Yeah, you know, Matt, when you go through um, valleys and times of discouragement, you want to jettison. You want to unload everything you can because you feel your life is too heavy. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. So you want to simplify it from uh, exponential multiplication to just like addition and subtraction. And you want to get rid of everything you can, get back to the simplicity of life. And I I wanted to, when I got to that point of depression, I wanted to get rid of everything. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I knew I never would and never could uh, would be the discipline of hearing Mm -hmm. God. I remember one day saying, I need every voice to be quiet in my life. And then I said, I don't want to hear from anybody. And then in my carnal mind, I was thinking, even God, because mm. he might challenge me. Right. And I'm not ready to be challenged. Mm. And I caught myself and I thought, no, accept God. Mm. I need to hear his voice only. And then I understood that the avenue through which that would be heard most clearly is through the Bible mm-hmm. and through my daily times in the Bible. So I, though I jettisoned every other discipline and uh, <clears throat> responsibility, I said, I cannot let that one go because that's my only lifeline. And if I let that go, I'm done. That was my lifeline. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, we both pastor 
you know, in this age where, you know, we meet Christians all the time who don't go to church and don't read the word, but mm-hmm. they consider them followers of Christ. What would you say to a person who, you know, if, if they're listening to this podcast, they're probably going to church, but what would you say to that person that's not in God's word? Like what, what, what would be your plea to that person that just, for whatever reason, you know, uh, can't read, ADD, too busy? What, what would you say to that person? Uh, yeah, you know, you can still be a Christian and not know God's right. word. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can still go to heaven. But the question really is, how fruitful do you want to be with your life? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got one life to live. This is it, right? Yeah. And once this is over, we're in heaven. Now, we'll make it to heaven, but I want to make a difference on earth as well. Yeah. That's why God sent you and me here, right? Yeah. It wasn't to just bide time, get saved. And if, and and if the only reason God saved us was to get us into heaven, then as soon as you would have received Christ, he probably would have killed you. <laughs> Because mice will get you into heaven now, right. right? No use you hanging around here, eating somebody else's food and taking yeah. up room. But it wasn't. God saved you and me and left us here for a purpose. Yeah. But we don't have that all worked out yet. So God says, if you will stay at my feet, I will disclose everything you need mm. to hear. But you're not ready right now for the whole enchilada. Right. I'm going to give it to you one level, one strata, at a time. Yeah. And so I would say to those that are Christians, how much A, B, C, D, E, or F, how much of a passing grade do you want on this earth? Mm. And, you know, I, I want I, when I stand before God, I want him to say, well done. Amen. You know, I don't want him to say, well, you got a D plus. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I, I want him to say, you did yeah. what I asked you to do. Uh, Paul the Apostle said in Philippians that I might apprehend that for which he apprehended me for. Hmm. We, we've got to come to grips with what is our purpose? Why did God put me here? Hmm. There's a reason. Hmm. And he says, if you will stay with me, I'll whisper it to you, but I'll whisper it along the way because you're going to need character right. along with knowledge. Because hmm. if you don't, then you'll misuse the knowledge and the Pharisees did that. Yeah. And so that's why Jesus said, you err in Mark 11. You err because you know not the scriptures mm. nor the power of God. Mm. And so we can be people known for our religion, but still make huge errors because yeah. we know not the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, amen. Um, I think in your sermon too, you also, it wasn't in your notes, but you quoted uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Yes. And I often use that verse actually in weddings when I talk to the men. You say, you're, never, you're not gonna know who she is or what she wants, but I love the <laughs> verse that, that it will equip the man of God for every good work. And so just that process of God's word is gonna give me experience and wisdom that I don't have on my own. Matt, I, I wanna encourage every Christian to and I know this is a high call and a high challenge, but to dedicate the rest of your life to the mastery of one book. Amen. Because if you don't, you won't know how to answer or you, you'd have no recourse against the enemy. Mm. In Luke 4, how often Jesus said, to every temptation, it is written, it, it is, is written. written, it is written. If we don't know what is written, how will you be able to defend yourself against the wiles of the enemy? Mm. It is so critical. Jesus himself says, I came to fulfill the scriptures. Well, he better have known what the scriptures Amen. were <laughs> and how often he quotes out of the prophets. He just quotes out of the book yeah. of Psalms. 
And his whole life was guided by the word of God. Hmm. And so he leaves us an example, says Peter, to follow in his steps. Amen. So we have to. And the other thing is, with all of the different things God wants for my future uh, and for your future, Matt, if he just told it to you, right. uh, you wouldn't remember it. You got to write it down. Yeah. And so God spoke to Moses and David and Paul the Apostle. They wrote it down. Mm. And so we can read it and not necessarily have to uh, reach again to where they are, but start from where they were mm. and actually increase. So I would encourage every Christian, please dedicate your life to the mastery of one book. And that starts with every day, mm. a 20, 20, just 20 minutes mm. reading the Bible, 20 minutes journaling. If you get one gem after one year, you will have had deposited to your account over 365 gems. Mm. And boy, I tell you, if you can increase 365% a year, Wow. Yeah. Amen. That's my heart. Yeah. Well, thank you, Wayne. Uh, so glad to have you. We love you. You're always welcome at Sandals, and thank we enjoyed you. your teaching. Thank you. Well, hey, guys. We are excited to uh, jump into some Q&A. We're going to do some lightning round stuff today. It was so cool having uh, Wayne here hanging out with us this weekend. Yeah, it was awesome, except for the fact that he made fun of the fact that I'm white. That that he did. Yes, but yes. Uh, shout out to Pastor Wayne though, because on Sunday morning here he was rocking the debrief podcast T-shirt. I know. T-shirt. I know. That was really yeah, cool. yeah. He Excellent. was so cool. He's repping us big time. Indeed. Okay. So bef- also speaking of people repping us, I want to say thank you to everybody who is leaving some awesome reviews for us in iTunes and oh, ratings. We continue to get up there. So we were number number one in the religious, new, and noteworthy stuff which was awesome, right next to a podcast on... I saw that, tarot cards. <laughs> tarot cards or something like that. Yeah, exactly. What is wrong with our country, oh, dude? Man, amazing. It's um, just crazy. And then all of that stuff is happening. Thank God we beat them, though. Jeez, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> if we imagine? were number two to... Yeah, uh, Pastor Matt Brown, number two behind tarot card Tarot readers. card update. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. It's my weekly podcast. Dude, we've been getting some great reviews, though. I think we have 36 reviews right now, which oh, is come pretty on, awesome. Pretty awesome. But pretty much every one of them is five stars. So we got one from, this is an undercover-esque he left a review. Don't waste another Tuesday of your life without listening to this. So, Way to go, undercover Eskimo. Exactly. Also, I'm sorry if you're a female Eskimo. He may be in Alaska, though. Not a lot going on. So. <laughs> right. That's, that's true. She's trying to stay undercover, and you just exactly. called her a day. Yeah, her. Okay, listen. This one's from Joey Valdez. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is what he said. I, you're going to like what he did here. He called it the deep brief. Whoa. Wow. Isn't that great? Yeah. It's not just because your voice. I think yeah. it's because the spiritual content um, is maybe is it's pretty, both. It's pretty high. I told you I would be a natural ba- base <laughs> if I wasn't so tight. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this here's the one, and I want to get your guys' feedback on this little review. It's from Ninchins. Um, okay, I, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> Was that English? <laughs> it's Ninchins. Here's the here's the review. Uh, well, there's the one part I want to highlight to you says, amongst all this other great stuff about the podcast, I love Justin asking the questions, even though he pauses a little bit too long sometimes. And um, I've just been feeling a little self-conscious in the, since I read that on Thursday. Have you guys noticed, am I pausing too long at some time? No. You were pausing a lot when you did it right there, but yeah. not normally. Well, that was subconscious. Yeah, that's what we call in ministry is the chocolate-covered turd. So it's a compliment, but after you bite into it, it's, ooh. You, you uh, lost me a chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Uh, so we got a lightning round. We got a ton of questions that have been coming in and stacking up, and we are going to jump into them. So we lightning sure round. Are. I'm going to start with the first one from Liz's group. They were actually listening to episode four, and somebody in her group had a question. Can a child be overcome by demonic spirits or unwanted spirits from a relationship that was not godly? If yes, how can we protect them from these spirits? Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's a question that I don't have near enough information. And so the first thing I would do is if you're concerned, uh, what, what I would do is make an appointment with a pastor at church mm-hmm. and try to figure out what's going on. But you know, in my experience, usually children are, are not, I think God protects them immensely. There was even a case in our church where a person was subject to uh, ritualistic satanic abuse in our church as a mm-hmm. child. And, um, when we met with her, she was she was not demon possessed at all. Even though the parents were doing incredibly abusive things, I mean, worthy of prison time. And so, um, you know, I, I would just say no. You know, if you're feeling concerned or worried, you know, pray, but pray, don't pray in such a way that you scare the kid. I mean, that's I think that's the worst thing to do mm-hmm. is is to make the kid uh, more worried and scared of the dark than they already are. Right. And so, you know, don't terrify your children. Um, you know, but just trust God and ask God to to protect your kids, and I believe that He will do that. And so, you know, I don't know what she's saying there from a relationship. Was it, you know, is this a relationship with someone where a kid was abused? Is this a relationship with a teenage child where, um, you know, they got involved sexually? You know, I, so I don't, I can't comment because there's just not enough detail here to the question. Um, and and so let me just say that anytime I, I'm rendering advice to people about their lives, I always try to be really really careful because these are people's lives that we're talking about. And we need as much information as possible. And I don't want to be flipping in my answers because your lives matter and, and I care mm-hmm. about you. So I would just say in, in general, um, you know, I think that kids are enormously protected if you are concerned. Uh, certainly we've had situations, uh, not, not like the example she used, but we've had situations where parents have come in and said, hey, I'm really, really you know, concerned with what's happening here. And uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask. I mean, we, we believe the spiritual world is real. Um, you know, we believe that these things can happen. And so uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be so afraid about it that I, that I didn't bring it up and I didn't bring it to someone's attention. We have incredible ministers here, uh, incredible people that will pray with you, work with you to discover, you know, and find out what's going on. And so again, in all situations, I think that it's important. And we talked about this, I believe on that week that, you know, issues are, are mind, body, and soul issues. You know, sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're emotional, and sometimes they're spiritual. Mm-hmm. And so when you're facing something with a child, you need to exercise and look at all three of those avenues. And so sometimes it requires counseling, sometimes it requires, you know, some, some mental healing that needs to take place. And sometimes there's some spiritual things that need to take place. And so that's what I would say is, you know, if you're concerned uh, to the point where you feel like this is a real issue, come into the church, you know, talk with us. And so we can dive into this situation deeper. I just don't feel comfortable commenting on it with that little of information. Right. Okay, so here's another question kind of about family and still from Luke chapter 8. This came from Lorraine in Melissa's group. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, um, basically Jesus's mother and brothers show up to see him where he's preaching, but they can't get inside the house where he's at. And Jesus replies, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do that. What does Jesus mean by that? Yeah, so I mean... We're right. We all have biological family, and those are blessings in our lives. You know, I have my mom, my dad, I have my wife, and my kids. You know, that's my biological family, but I also have my spiritual family, uh, and that includes you know Stephanie uh, and you. You guys are part of my family forever. And so, what Jesus is saying is, there's a uniqueness in terms of 
his relationship to those who love him and obey him. And at that point in time, his mother and his brothers are not believers. You know, I don't know what hmm. happened to Mary, but at some point, right, the young woman who had an angel appeared to her, um, and then in Luke two fifty or in Luke two, not understanding why he's in the temple. At some point, Mary got confused, right, and and, and thought that Jesus was just her kid again, or or she didn't fully understand. And, and the gospels don't give us all the details, but you know, in the gospels, Mary actually tries to stop Jesus because she's concerned. The family thinks he's gone nuts, mm-hmm. and they're worried that he's going to get hurt and something bad's going to happen to him. And so, oftentimes, when they're pursuing him, and I think in this case specifically. They're not a part of Jesus' ministry yet. They're, they're, they have not accepted the truth of who he is yet. Now, eventually, his brother James will accept the truth of who he is and will become the bishop of the church in Jerusalem and, and probably the most powerful spiritual leader in the church after Christ's death. A lot of people don't realize that, mm-hmm. that it's not Paul, it's not even Peter, but James becomes kind of the focal point of, uh, of the church for the first couple years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, so what I think he's saying here is, is his family, and that's what he's starting. He's not starting just a kingdom, but it's a family. When we, when we become born again Christians, we become a part of the family of God. And, you know, that's why, right, Jesus tells us, and I'm excited, you know, to go into Luke 11 this week, because we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer this next week. And cool. So Jesus says, when we pray, pray this way, our Father. Not my father, but our father. And so we need to learn to see God as our dad and we need to learn to approach him in that way. And there's something unique about our spiritual families. And that's why it always makes me so sad when people flippantly move from church to church. Um, I look at Sandals Church, my commitment to Sandals Church is is like my commitment to my family. Mm -hmm. It's something that I I am committed to, something that I I love deeply and and would die for. I mean, this is my spiritual family. And I, I think it's a tragedy that many Christians never realize the depth of love that God wants us to have for each other. And so I think Jesus is drawing a sharp line. He's not trying to be insulting to Mary or his, his brothers. Uh, and we don't know where his, his father is at that time. We assume that Joseph is dead um, because Joseph falls off the scene after the scene in Luke 2 when he's 12 years old. So at some point in time, um, Joseph passed away or, or is out of the picture. Um, you know, so we don't have a definitive statement there. But, but Jesus is saying, look, man, I am calling you to something radical. And that's why the church grew because people without families, um, people that had been enslaved from other countries and brought to the Roman empire, Mm. man, they found a family. They didn't just find a religious experience. They didn't just go to church, but they found family, a family that loved you in spite of, of what you've done or, or, or the mistakes you've made. And that's why, you know, I, I picked the name sandals for our church. And a lot of people don't know this, but in the 90s, I don't know if I've shared this on, on the debrief, but I had these horrifically ugly toenails. Now I, they have medicine for it. I took medicine. <laughs> okay, I was I about to say, what I, don't know, I know, I have beautiful feet now, but, but in the 90s, <laughs> you, you couldn't treat this fungus. You know, those commercials with that little crunchy guy underneath the toenails, I had that. And so I was incredibly embarrassed to wear sandals in front of people. And like children would comment on it. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with Uncle Matt's feet? Oh. It was just disgusting. And I thought, you know, I want to be a part of a church where people can see the very worst of me and still love me. And, and a lot of people don't realize that, but the logo, you know, in our sandals, for, the logo for sandals is actually two sandals. It's two left feet coming together. Mm-hmm. And that's what our church is. It's, it's people coming together to be real with each other. And that's just so absolutely important for our church because we are a spiritual family. Your biological family, you'll be with, you know, your whole lifetime until they die. Your spiritual family, you're going to be with forever with Christ. And so, um, and that's what God's starting. He's starting a new family where we love each other. We care for each other. We serve each other. 
The church is supposed to be everything you wish your biological family was. Mm-hmm. So the church is supposed to operate the way your biological family should. But a lot of us come from very, very unhealthy backgrounds. We come from broken families. We come from hurting families. Some of us come from abusive families. And so the church is supposed to be a place of healing and, and nurturing where, like I said, we love each other because Christ has loved us. We forgive each other because Christ has forgiven us. We serve each other because Christ has served us. We give to each other because Christ has given to us. And the church is a beautiful, beautiful place where we get we have the freedom to act selflessly. And that's why he says, my family are those who do what I say. And so that's what I'd say. Some people have had awful experience with Christians. Jesus is saying, just because you have a Christian t-shirt doesn't mean you're a follower of Christ. Right. The followers of Christ are known for what they do. Those who do what I say, Jesus says, that's my family. Mm -hmm. Not the people who claim to know me, Mm -hmm. but the people who actually are different, are loving, are kind. Um, You know, and that's what that's what Christ is calling us to. And so, you know, I think some people are a little offended by that, and and certainly we got to be careful because cults grab this passage and separate people from their families, exclude people from their friends. You know, the Jehovah Witnesses are notorious for doing this, ex, you know, excluding, and I, I don't just want to pick on them because even churches, you know, do do this. And it's really, really sad. I was actually talking to uh, a young gal at uh, Sandals East Valley this weekend who moved her membership to Sandals and, and, and she started crying. I said, well, why is that? And she told me because her, her former church disfellowshipped her. And I was just like, ooh, doesn't sound very Christ-like, you know? And uh, she had grown up in this church and it just, it just broke my heart, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I want people to come to Sandals because they love it, not because they're forced to be here. My mm-hmm. gosh, that's not the kingdom of God. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we gotta be really, really careful. Cults love to manipulate things like this. And, and again, I'm not saying her church was a cult, but that's a cultish-like behavior. And, um, you know, I mean, the church is not a prison, right? I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're not mandated to stay here. You know, the church is an invitation. It's a place for mm. people to come and be loved and cared for. And so, um, you know, that's what I think Christ is talking about. So I don't know if I answered. No, I love that. I talked about it forever. So no, <laughs> no I yeah. loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Um, our next question is from Justin and Allen's group. Um, he said that you mentioned that Jesus is the head of God's army. Was this figurative? And why does God need an army if he's all powerful? Are there little gods that fight for power? Right. And so th- there's mo- that's a multifaceted question there. So, Loaded. You know, so is Christ the head of God's army? Absolutely. There's also the archangel. Um, you know, so the, the Bible talks about, you know, in Ephesians, principalities and powers of the unseen world. And so there's, there's a world out there that exists that, that we, we cannot see. And, you know, human life is not all life that there is. We, we, we don't know what that is. You know, is it spiritual life? Is it biological life? I mean, we don't know what it is, but the Bible says very, very clearly that there are things out there, living beings, spirits, powers, principalities, rulers, kingdoms, all kinds of things that we're completely unaware of. And, um, you know, Jesus Christ says, you know, uh, in the passage we talked about that if we, if we don't accept him, you know, now that he will reject us. And he says he will reject us when he comes with his father and with the holy angels. So when Christ returns, right, there's gonna, there's gonna be like this, this pomp and this circumstance. And it's just gonna be like, whoa, who mm-hmm. are these people? And, and, and there's all kinds of rank and all kinds of rulers. And so to answer the question, is there, are there other gods? N- no, not with a capital G. Are there other gods with a little g? Absolutely. You see that all throughout the scriptures. Um, you know, there is one God, one all-powerful, almighty being, the Alpha, the Omega, you know, the beginning and the end, uh, 
there's only one God like that, but there are all kinds of other supernatural, uh, divine-like beings that are incredibly powerful. And so, um, you know, there is going to be a final battle. Revelation speaks of it, that Jesus Christ will lead God's armies. He will be riding a white horse. And the Bible says that literally swords of light will burst out of his eyes. I mean, it's just this powerful, incredible, you know, battle that takes place. It's, it's, the, it's the final battle, the, the battle of Armageddon. And that's mm-hmm. my favorite place. When we go to Israel as a church, we stand on top of um, Nazareth overlooking the Valley of Armageddon. And so the Bible talks about that there will be a final battle that takes place. And this, this understanding of good versus evil, everything is moving towards this point. And so Christ is the leader of the armies. And so, um, you know, Joseph in the Old Testament, excuse me, jo- uh, not Joseph, Joshua. Joshua in the Old Testament, before they enter the promised land, he sees this angel and he's like, who are you? You know, are you for us or are you against us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he's, it's, it's just this powerful, powerful experience. And, 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 and I believe that's probably Christ. And it's just, he's, 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 you know, sometimes referred to as the archangel of God, the, the warrior of God. And uh, that's who Jesus is. He's, he's the great warrior. Um, the Bible says in Revelations that his robe is dipped in blood. I mean, that's like, you know. Uh, Pretty intense. Well, uh, what's, what's that movie where he paces his fate blue? Um, oh, Braveheart. Oh, Braveheart, dude. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, right. It's just like this freedom, yes. you know, moment. And, um, you know, too bad Mel Gibson went crazy because um, he made some awesome movies. But um, that's, that's Christ, man. I mean, Christ is just this incredible, uh, I want to say a word I can't say, incredible word, uh, yes. you know, awesomeness, yeah. just warrior. And um, so, so, yeah, um, he, he is the head of God's armies. So, so why does God have this? Because why does he even need an army? What's the point of that? If he's totally all powerful, because like, couldn't he just smite? Yeah, abs- absolutely. I don't know. We have to ask God when we get there. You mm-hmm. know. So, uh, is it figurative? Is it literal? Um, you know, the Book of Revelations indicates it's not much of a battle, right? <laughs> so, okay. Right. You know, everybody gets dressed up for nothing. Yeah. So, um, because Christ speaks and it's over. So, um, you know, I mean, he even right. Jesus even refers to that with Satan. He says, "I saw Satan fall like lightning." Now, he's not using the word lightning because it's impressive, right? He's using it in the sense of immediacy. So when Satan is defeated, right? Think about lightning, wham! Boom. You know, Satan got his butt kicked mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, so I don't know. Um, you know, but God uses angels to fight. I mean, we see that, we see that in you know, the Old Testament, angels fight for them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so they do serve a purpose. The question is, you know, why does God have it? You know, I don't know. Right. I'm not God. Yeah, I like when you talked about just the pomp and circumstance of it all, like pointing to how awesome and uh, yeah, just big and cool. Yeah, God and is. so and so part of that is right in the ancient world two thousand years ago. What made Caesar great? Well, what made Caesar great was his army. Um, yeah, because without his army, he's not great. And so, is it figurative? Is it literal? So, so what makes God great? He has this army that cannot be defeated. Does he need it? No, but he has it. That's awesome. right. So he's awesome. And so, um, you know, he's powerful and God creates things for purposes, just like you and I have a purpose. Why did he create us? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because there was part of God's heart that, that, you know, he just wanted to love us and, and to enjoy us in a real relationship and we're to enjoy him in a real relationship. And so, you know, God does what God does. That's what makes him God. He doesn't have to ask us, you know, he wanted an army. Okay. No one's complaining. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Okay, so let's do this. Um, Ray in Jesse's group asks this question that comes out of Luke 8. And there's this story where in verse 52, it tells us about Jesus is healing Jairus' daughter. And um, when he goes there to the family, Jesus says, stop weeping, she isn't dead, she's only asleep. And then in verses uh, 54 and 5, he says, taking her by the hand, Jesus called saying, child arise and her spirit returned and she got up at once. So Ray's question is, was this little girl actually dead? And then if so, or whatever's going on there, when this verse says that her spirit returned, what does that mean? Yeah. So I think I addressed that specifically in the message, um, but um, I'll, I'll go for it again. Right. So yeah, I believe she's dead. Yeah. She's, she is dead. That's why people laugh at him. You know, are, are you kidding me? She's right. dead. She's totally dead. People knew in the ancient world what a dead person was. And so what I think Jesus is saying there is not that she's literally asleep, but look, in, in the grand scheme of things, she's simply taken a nap mm-hmm. because I'm going to wake her up. And that's what he says, right? Uh, little girl, arise, wake, mm-hmm. wake up and come back. And so um, I think, you know, again, Jesus is limited in language to describe what's happening to what we can understand and to what the people can understand. And so the question of, you know, where did her spirit go is I think what you asked yeah. me. You know, and so that's what, what we talked about in that week's message is that our spirits go to one of two places when we die. One is, uh, you know, before Christ died on the cross, the, the bosom of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks when we talk about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. And so, you know, there was this understanding of, of two places of waiting. One, a place of comfort, the bosom of Abraham. The other, a place of torment where the rich man goes, a place of agony where he says, uh, tell someone to dip their finger in water and touch my tongue, right? He's parched, he's, he's dying in agony. So Jesus is speaking to a desert crowd. So he's not gonna talk about the misery of Mount Everest and snow because yeah, nobody's gonna understand, you know? But if, if uh, you know, to our Eskimo listener, if, if Christ <laughs> would have died on the cross in Anchorage, right? right? The pictures of suffering would have been extreme cold, mm. um, but they're in, they're in the Middle East. So, you know, uh, heat is the problem. Mm-hmm. And so, so every single one of us, when we die, we'll go to one of two places. Um, I think both places are a place of waiting uh, one is a place where we wait in paradise with Christ, awaiting the final judgment where he will pass out our rewards for those of us who've given our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The other is a place of prison, which is a place of waiting. So it's it's not hell yet. It's not mm-hmm. the final judgment yet, but you're awaiting that final judgment. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's what I believe is happening. And again, we don't have all the pictures. You know, the apostle Paul says, we see now, uh, you know, things dimly. We We can't see. So it's like trying to, Reading the Bible when we're looking at spiritual things and things that are beyond the earth, it's like trying to make out your own image in, a, in a, maybe a fogged mirror. You can kind of see yourself, but you can't really see yourself. And so there are just some things that we just ultimately have to trust to God. You know, Jesus said uh, to the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And the word paradise actually means garden, um, which interesting. Mm-hmm. What did God create initially? A garden. Yeah where he walked with them and he talked with them. And so that's the word paradise. Uh, it really means like orchard, um, mm. you know, p- place of, of fruit trees. And again, what, what what's in the Garden of Eden? Many fruit trees yeah. and one that you're not supposed to eat of. And so, um, you know, the apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. And so I think prior to the resurrection, Jesus talks about that place of blessing as the bosom of Abraham. But post-resurrection, we are with him in paradise. Abraham is with Christ in paradise. And so 
Um, so I think she was really dead. Her spirit had gone to be with Christ or, or with Abraham and had returned because of Christ. And like I said, so we talked about that that week that God God breathed our spirits into us. So we talked about in Genesis, you know, in the beginning when God, he took Adam from the mud and he carved him and he breathed life into him. We even see that in Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. So, right, he tells Ezekiel to prophesy and these bones come to life and, yeah. and muscles and tendons are all on him again. And then he tells Ezekiel, now breathe life into them. Command, command my spirit to breathe life into them. Because in that image, right, they're fully, they're, they're, they're standing corpses. And that's an army, by the way. Yes. It's God's army. They're, they're standing corpses, but they have no life in them yet. Isn't that bizarre mm-hmm. to think about bodies just mm-hmm. standing there and they, they need the spirit of life in them. And so Ezekiel prophesies over them and they come to life. It's pretty powerful. It's a, it's a, it's a I mean, that's the basis of the understanding of the resurrection. It yeah. comes from Ezekiel where, oh, wait a minute. When you die, that's not it. There, there's something after that. And, um, and so it's, it's beautiful passage, beautiful imagery. Not only do we get a new body, but we get a new heart mm-hmm. and we get God's spirit with us forever. So it's absolutely powerful. So Any parents uh, looking to start reading the Bible more with your kids? Ezekiel is probably a, just a great place to start right before you're tucking them in bed and yeah, praying, that is praying not for true. Sleep. There's some scary stuff in there. There's Stay some, away from like Ezekiel 28. There's some <laughs> intense stuff in there. Yeah. All right. Um, our next question is from Eric and Jake's group. And he says that there's a lot in Luke 8 and 9 regarding the cost of following Jesus. What are some ways to help discern my role in following Jesus? Hmm. For instance, whether I should go out into the nations to help plant churches and spread the gospel or stay in my local community to spread the gospel, serve the church, and maybe support people financially to go overseas? Yeah, absolutely. What a great question. And mm-hmm. I think that every single Christian should be answering this question. Every single one of us, if our faith is real, we have to ask ourselves, what is it costing me? And if it's not, we, we, should, we should be freaking out. Because, you know, right, what, what, did, what did my salvation cost Jesus? his very life, everything. everything. He gave up everything. He released his spirit to God. He died a horrible death on the cross. Uh, not only that, but Christ experienced, I believe hell mm-hmm. because God turned his back on him. So yeah. for the first time in history, the triune God was separate. The father separated himself. The spirit separated himself from the son. And that was the most agonizing moment of the crucifixion. And because of that, because Christ has suffered for us, because Christ has died for us, we long to do this and love to do this. And so, you know, Luke nine twenty three. you know, um, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me daily. You know, that's for the person who, um, again, we don't need to preach this to people who don't know Jesus. This mm-hmm. is not, this is not, you know, he's speaking this to his followers, his yeah. disciples. These are people who who are following, he's saying, okay, so you want to do this, then this is what this looks like. And that comes right right after Peter figures out you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and then right after that is the, the transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. So that's a, that's a deep moment. And we need to be careful that we don't expect new believers to fully understand that. This mm-hmm. is something for mature believers to wrestle with. You know, what what is my role? How, how do I sacrifice? How do I how do I count the cost? And, um, you know, it's just like when we build a building, I don't expect our non-Christians and our new believers to build it. I expect our mature believers to sacrifice. You know, I'm yeah. already a tither. Okay, Tammy, who's my wife, we're going we're gonna to figure out what we can give over and above that. We got to count the cost. Mm-hmm. And so for us, and so not only that, but then I send missionaries. So 
I, I, I'm not going to go to India, you know, with, with our hundred missionaries, but I'm going to, you know, finance those missionaries. My wife yeah. and I already do. Uh, we finance, you know, the first three we sent. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a part of, of, of what, we, what we feel like our calling is. And so what I would say is, uh, what was this guy's name, Justin? Uh, Eric. Oh, Eric, sorry. Okay. Uh, so Eric, this is what I would say is, is you need to pray with your small group. You need to look at your spiritual, spiritual giftedness. And so mm. you need to look at your gifting. How has God gifted you? So one of the major reasons that I know that I'm not called to uh, foreign missions is I don't, I don't uh, learn languages quickly. You know, I took Spanish like a thousand times. I still can't speak Spanish. You know, I wrestle. I had to take Greek over and over again in seminary. I had to take Hebrew over and over again. So language acquisition for me is very, very difficult. If you cannot learn languages, you have no business going overseas Mm -hmm. because the primary way the gospel is spread is through language and culture and understanding those things. And so I learned very, very quickly that my role um, is to to be a supporter and a sender. And so my role is to finance and to challenge those to, to send, and to, be, to go and, and to help them and challenge others to send them. And so that's what I would pray about. What is your giftedness? Are you, know, are you good with people? Do you make friends quickly? Can you share the gospel? Mm-hmm. Like if you can't share the gospel here, you certainly aren't gonna be able to do it there. And so, you know, do you have the gift of evangelism? Do you wake up every day just wanting to tell somebody about Jesus? If you don't, don't go. Mm-hmm. I mean, why, why should the church expend all these resources, all this money, if you're going to be a tourist for 20 or 30 years? And that's what a lot of missionaries are. A lot of missionaries around the world are tourists and they're sucking up all these resources because they had a heart for missions, but they don't have a, the gift. Mm-hmm. And so that you have to ask yourself, do I have both? And so I have a heart for missions, but I don't have the gift. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is, is I help to send people who have the heart and the gift. And so that's what I would say to Eric is, you know, what are your gifts? And again, if you can't share the gospel, tell, if you can't you know, tell people about Jesus and you have not seen yourself lead, you have not experienced yourself leading people to Jesus here in the United States, you won't do it there. It will not happen um, because the pressures on the mission field are so great. And I have seen incredibly strong Christians go on the mission field and their weaknesses are instantly exposed. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say to anybody considering ministry. The weaknesses that you have when you step out in ministry will not be hidden by Christ, but they will be exposed. The, the greater the leadership, the greater, the, greater the, uh, the challenge of what you're doing for Christ, the more you're gonna be exposed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you you got you got to deal with your weaknesses. You got to deal, with, and that's not to say that we got, we're going to send perfect people. It's just that um, you've got to deal with your stuff here, yeah, because it will be exposed there. So whatever problems you have as a couple here, you go to India. Those things are going to be magnified. The mission field magnifies our sins and our struggles mm-hmm. because the, the enemy right doesn't want you there. Totally, the gospel is already here. If you're going to a place where the gospel hasn't been spread, so you've got to deal with that stuff. So I would encourage him to ask other people. Here, here's the mistake that we make in modern day ministry is people come to me and say, I feel called. Well, I don't see that in the gospel. What I see in the gospel, in, in the, the gospels and in the book of Acts, people saying, you're called. Barnabas sees something in Paul. Mm-hmm. Jesus sees something in Paul. There's an affirmation, the church prays and agrees, you should be sent. And so, you know, the body of Christ needs to speak to this and say, I see this giftedness in you. I believe this in this, and I'm gonna support you in this. And so it's a little backwards nowadays. Totally. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, that was super helpful, even for me as I'm like considering, you know, what my role looks like. So totally, yeah, I love that idea that even while you're here trying to figure these things out, still really intentionally pursuing 
that yeah, it, the Christ call is costing us something. So super, super legit. Okay, so here's here's a fun one. Luke chapter 10, Kimberly in Jeff's group. Well, define fun, right? Because who knows? The number 12 and its significance dates way back to the Old Testament and occurs 187 places in the word with Revelation alone having 22 occurrences. Is there a spiritual significance to the number 12 relating to the power of God? Right. And so, you know, there's a whole study on numerology and people get all excited about numbers and, um, you know, whether it's, uh, I believe it's 100 and, is it 152 fish that Jesus catches in the great catch. I can't remember the number. Uh, I'm going to say that's, that's close. Yeah, it's close. The 72 no disciples. No uh, and by the way, there's a textual variance. I didn't go over this in the, um, uh, um, in the sermon because we don't have time, but some, some of the, some of the original manuscripts say 70, some say 72. It's, it's, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't say it's a problem, but it's the, the, the manuscripts don't exactly agree. Was it 70 or 72? When I would say it doesn't matter. Right. He sent him out two by two or not to go alone. And so anybody that gets caught up in numerology, I would just say, be very, very careful and stay away from that. Um, you know, just like, uh, Satan's, name in Revelation is 666. Well, you have to remember in Greek, numbers and letters are the same. So 666 is actually a name. Oh, okay. So it's not just numbers, you know, and, and he shall be 666. It's it, it's a name. He has a name on him. Hmm. And so it's probably an abbreviation for, for a name. And so those are letters. And so we just have to be very, very careful, you know, with this whole idea of numerology and stay away from it. You know, numerologists are always predicting the next coming of Christ. And as far as I know, they're always wrong. Right. right. I mean, yeah. they're like so always been right. Yet, so. Yeah, they're they're always wrong, and yeah. so um, you know, and it doesn't matter where you're. The Mayans, right? 2012, remember that? Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, I can't remember that Christian organization. I, I think in 2010, the end of the world, and they sold oh, everything, yeah, yeah. And, and then he recalculated his numbers. So you you just got to be really careful, and 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 just say, look, man, the, the end. G- Jesus says no one knows the hour, only the Father knows. So even Jesus doesn't know when it's going to end. And so so what I would say, you know, is is there something spiritual about the number 12? No. Do numbers sometimes mean something? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, don't worry about that. Is, I know I was a little negative on that, but. Well, is, well I, and that's what I'm wondering. What's the why behind don't worry about that? Is it so that you're just to not get caught up in that? Not yeah, be- because I, I think people that get into numerology get weird and get cultic and get bizarre. I've never seen somebody start studying numerology and come out a better person. I just, I just haven't seen it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, they just tend to get weird. And, you know, it, it's this whole idea of, of like a hidden code in the Bible. Why would God do that? He knows how dumb we are. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to hide a code. Yeah. He needs to tell us exactly, you know, he needs to tell us exactly what he means. It's just like, you know, Greek for years and years and years, people believe that the New Testament was written in the most beautiful form of Greek. And then we figured out it's not, it's in Koine Greek, which is the most common form of Greek. And, and one of the best ways and the best tools to interpreting the Bible was actually women's grocery lists from Alexandria, hmm. right? Those were some of the best interpretation tools huh. because God's not an idiot, right? right? He knows we're the idiots. He knows he has to be the most clear, the most direct. And so I don't think God's going to hide a bunch of stuff in there. And so we just gotta be very, very careful. That's my advice. I know I'm gonna just rile up a bunch of people and look, just focus on loving people and loving Christ and sharing Christ. Don't start studying numbers and, and barcodes and all this stuff. Got it. All right. Um, so moving on to Luke 10 now, I was noticing kind of reading through there when Jesus sends out the 72 or the 70, um, he directs them to enter a town and stay at one house. And then says if that town doesn't receive them, that town will face judgment worse than Sodom. And that seems pretty intense. It almost seems like he's telling them to 
base their judgment of the entire town on whether or not yeah. you know, one house receives them. What if they like happen to just meet the town jerk or what does he mean by that? Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of things there. So first off, you know, this is a great passage. Um, you know, for those of you who are listening, what, why do we support and pay our staff? Uh, because Jesus is going to say here, you know, the, the worker is worthy of his work. And so we need to take care of. So I believe stay in one house is don't take advantage of people. Don't go from house to house looking for a better opportunity to bigger house, better food, whatever. Stay in one house. So, so the church needs to take care of me and take care of me well, but I don't need to get wealthy. I think those are, those are two different things. The church's responsibility is to take care of me well, and I, my responsibility is to take care of our staff members well, but I don't need to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's the big meaning there. But what he's saying is, is we have... Um, people are going to be held responsible for when they reject the gospel. And so I think your question is, you know, are there different level of, of judgments? Absolutely. Because, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah didn't hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. They didn't hear the gospel. They, they didn't have that chance to, to repent um, from, you know, the teaching of Christ. And so these towns are hearing the gospel, man. And not only are they hearing the gospel, they're seeing miracles. Yeah. They're seeing people be healed. They're seeing, they're seeing demons be exercised. They're, they're seeing thousands of people fed, right? I mean, all the evidence is right there in front of you and yet you're still rejecting Christ. And so, and that's what I think Jesus is saying is, and he's trying to get their attention. He's saying, look, so Sodom and Gomorrah is, you know, the effective worst cities in the history of the world, right? right. There's nobody worse because they were so bad that God sent fire from heaven and burned them. I mean, that's how bad it was. So what he's saying is, hey guys, in your self-righteousness, you need to listen because it's going to be better for those guys. Because by the way, the day of judgment wasn't when fire came down. That's not the day of judgment. The day of judgment is still coming. He's saying, it's gonna be better for you guys because I'm standing here and you rejected me. You've rejected my teachers. You've rejected the gospel. And, uh, and that, is, that is a horrific sin because we're rejecting God's, God's offer of mercy, God's offer of forgiveness. And, and you have to think about that. A lot of people have a problem with that. And it's because you haven't fully wrestled with what Christ went through to offer that forgiveness. Hmm. And so that, that's, that's where people, you know, they get so offended. Well, how could, how could God be so, you know, judgmental and, and so angry? And, and how, how could a loving God have wrath? Because he sent his one and only son and his son died a horrific, awful, ugly, terrible death for you mm-hmm. and you reject it. And, and that's why. So God's wrath is gonna be poured out on Jesus or on you. And, um, you know, I believe that, you know, judgment is personal, just like rewards. So, you know, is hell going to be the same for everyone? No. I also believe that rewards won't be the same for everyone in heaven. We'll, we'll all be in heaven or on the new earth when he creates a new earth. But it says very clearly that he's going to dispense rewards based upon faithfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, and like when Pastor Wayne talked about those Chinese Christians this weekend, yeah. you know, traveling 12 hours to go to church, sitting on, uh, you know, an un- unconditioned, unair conditioned home on the floor for eight hours a day for three days, right? God's going to bless those people when we're like, ah, oh, it's raining today, or I have to drive 10 minutes, yeah. or, you know, the pastor preached for 40 minutes, right? God's going to bless those Chinese believers in a unique way. He talked about the one who'd been in prison for nine years, Crazy. for nine years yeah. because of his faith in Christ. Man, that guy deserves to be blessed yes. in a unique way. He doesn't need to get the same reward as me. Um, you know, I'm just gonna be glad just to be there. <laughs> so, um, and we need to think about that and going back to count the cost. You know, 
die, die, or pick up your cross daily. We need to remind ourselves of that because the standard by which I'm not going to be judged isn't my fellow American Christians. Mm-hmm. You know that we talked earlier about the body of Christ. The body of Christ are people in China who are suffering and dying for the gospel. Um, you know, right now we're talking about sending out missionaries. A couple weeks ago, I'm sitting in a meeting with a missionary from Afghanistan, and he's telling me about how he went with a group of three and only two came back because one of his team members was shot in front of her hotel room. Oof. Like th- th- this isn't like, you know, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. Like this is 2013. Yeah. 2013, they, they picked up everything. They trained their church raised support. They went as a team and only two of them came home. And he's telling me this story about how he then took the father and they went back to Afghanistan because the dad wanted to see where his daughter died. This happens. And what kind of reward does she deserve in heaven? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, better than mine. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. And so I, I think that, you know, heaven, not all blessings are gonna be equal. And I think hell, not all of hell is going to be the same. I think, you know, there's gonna be a special place for Adolf Hitler. There is. Mm-hmm. And if there's not, you know, God is not who he said he was. And I think God is going to judge specifically, you know, Hitler in a unique way. So Totally. Okay, let's do one last uh, question here from Luke chapter 10. And uh, this one came in from uh, Justin uh, in the Debrief podcast. This is mine. So in the middle of Luke chapter 10, Jesus has this cool little prayer. And in verse 22, he says this, My father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son, and to those whom the son chooses to reveal him. Can you talk about, does Jesus only choose to reveal the father to certain people, to some people. Right. Well, and so this, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a classic argument between Calvinism and Arminianism. Does God choose or do we choose? And, and so, and I think the truth is theologically somewhere in the middle. I think both God chooses and we choose and somehow that works out together. But specifically in this context, you know, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. You know, he's very clear throughout the gospels. I have chosen you. So remember a couple of weeks back, he had all kinds of disciples to choose the 12 from. Yep. He prayed all night. And then he chose those 12. So mm-hmm. he's chosen them. But what he's saying is, is that he, he has a unique ability to connect us with God. So think about John 14, three. I'm the truth, I'm the way. I'm the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So what Jesus is proclaiming is that he is uniquely the connection to God. And so one of the things that you know, offended people so greatly about Jesus was how he called God dad. And people picked on, up on it immediately. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. If, when you call God your dad, you are making yourself equal with God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like my son, by definition, is a human being because I'm a human being. Jesus Christ, by definition, if his dad is God, what is Jesus? Jesus is divine. And so Jesus is revealing to his disciples that there's something that I'm going to reveal to you about God that no one knows. No one knows God the way I do. No one knows. And that's why we have to be so dogmatic about Jesus Christ is the only way. Look, all kinds of religions are great. They do great things. They make people's lives better. You know, they give people meaning and purpose. Man, that's great. No one connects people to God in the way Jesus does. No one does. He is unique in that way. And so he's saying no one knows God like I do. So in John, we talked about this last week, It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Mm -hmm. So we talked about that language of proston theon, face to face. Jesus has always been face to face with God. And so he uniquely understands him and he uniquely reveals him to us. And so um, it's it's just so absolutely important. 
that we understand that we can only find God through Jesus. So now the part of whom the son chooses to reveal him to, yeah, absolutely. He is only revealing God to a select group of people until the resurrection. And then he says what? Tell everyone, Mm -hmm. reveal me to everyone, reveal me to the nations, reveal me to the world, tell everyone about me. And so there's a period of time where who he is has to be kept in secret. And it's, it's a very, very precious thing. But eventually he's going to tell the whole world. And that's why the 72 disciples are sent out. So in, in Matthew, Jesus sends out the 12 and says, only go to the Gentiles, excuse me, <laughs> only go to the Jews, yeah. don't go to the Gentiles. In Luke, he says, go to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so I think Luke is prepping us for how this is going to change. It's going to go from, I'm only revealing myself, I'm only revealing God to those I, whom I choose to you are going to reveal me and God to the world. And so it's going to change. And that's why it's so absolutely important because the world needs to hear about Jesus because he is the unique son of God. And by the way, he is the one by which every single human being will be judged on the day of judgment. I actually got a text this week, you know, when your sermon, we talked about Vishnu, you know, Mm -hmm. and this person was just all worried that that person was headed for hell. And they asked me, is that person gonna spend eternity in hell? And this is what I said is, I don't know whether or not that person will spend eternity in hell. This is what I know. The only way I know for sure that we won't spend eternity in hell is by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only guarantee. Mm -hmm. This is what I know is that individual that you met and talked about will stand before Jesus and Jesus will decide his fate because Jesus is the judge and he has complete authority to do whatever he wants to do. And no no one will complain. He will make whatever decision Jesus renders on the day of judgment for people, everyone will go, amen. Amen. I mean, it, it will be so, so righteous and so true. The world will have never seen judgments like this. Hmm. I mean, imagine, imagine a day and age when, when a family, you know, a beloved son is accused of murder and the judge renders a judgment, sending them, sending that son, that beloved son to prison forever. And the family's like, that was a good decision. Hmm. Because it will, it will all be presented. The truth will all come out. Every secret will be laid bare. And Christ's judgment will be right. And, and no one will be, you know, I mean, people that are sent, ultimately, it says that there'll be a grinding of teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll be, they, they, they won't agree with the, the rendering, but everyone else will be like, oh my gosh, that was such a great rendering. That was such a great judgment because Jesus Christ is the perfect judge. Man, that's a good way of thinking about it. I love that analogy with, with the family. That's a really good way to think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good episode, great stuff. Well, major thank you to everybody for sending in all these questions. It's seriously so much fun uh, getting the emails throughout the week and putting these together for Pastor Matt. And if you guys would do us a favor, if you are liking the Debrief Podcast at all, please do us a favor, jump over to iTunes. It could probably just take you like two minutes. Leave us a fantastic review. Uh, well, leave us a review of your, choosing, of your choosing. My hope yeah. is that we would have earned a fantastic review yeah. in your heart. But, I'm going to guess eventually we're going to get a bad one, but... Yeah, yeah, probably. Well, I mean, I thought we kind of already got a bad one when they talked about my oh, your pauses, pauses. My pauses. Yeah. You got a bad one. Well, we, yeah, so we're far, okay. So far, well, okay, but I interviewed, I interviewed Wayne and I sat in your shoes and I realized how hard that is to be listening to the answer and thinking at the same time mm-hmm. the next question. So I really appreciate what you do. Yeah, Thank well you very done. much. You guys can't tell us on the podcast, but my cheeks just uh, blushed a little bit. <laughs> he's, so. he's a little rosy. Aww. Yeah, exactly. So uh, thanks for those thanks for those reviews. We seriously appreciate it. Do us a favor. Maybe tell somebody about the uh, the podcast. Help them get subscribed as well. We're going to try something new today, Pastor Matt. We're going to close with your thoughts on an inspirational quote. 
<laughs> so we're going to give you an inspirational <laughs> quote, and uh, then you just, you just give us your thoughts. Are you ready for this? I am so nervous. Okay, here you go. Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. I don't think that's actually correct. <laughs> because, right, the stars are way beyond the moon. Thank you. That's exactly what I was saying earlier. Yeah, so, I, so I think, you know, talk to the numerology guy. They need to recalculate the math. So shoot for the stars and you might hit the moon. <laughs> that's what I would say. That's like the lamest inspirational quote ever. <laughs> Sounds nice, but yeah. Shoot for the moon and you might hit a star. Yeah, no, you might if, even if you miss, stars. you've never heard that. You've never seen that like on a poster and like the dentist office or something. It it's kind of ironic because it's the moon is to be way closer. okay with failure. Yeah, like, hey. w- like not even comparably closer. You could say shoot for Mars and you might hit the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna uh, start saying that. I'm sorry. Yeah, a lot of things that are inspirational don't make sense. All right, send in your favorite inspirational quotes, guys. We love you. Have a, uh, <laughs> See, uh, have yeah. a somebody's crying. We might now. shoot it down. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And somebody has that painted over their child's bedroom. They're like, oh, oh my gosh, gosh. Pastor Matt hates me. Sorry. Love you guys. See you next week. Yeah, love you. Bye.